Welcome back to Restless. My name is Father Joseph Gill, priest of the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you've joined Diane and Joe and myself as together we restlessly seek the face of God. Maybe after our 150 episodes, I'd actually be able to say that properly. Restlessly. Maybe maybe a 300. (laughs) Maybe 300. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) But uh, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we had a great joy a few months ago in our diocese where we ordained six men to the priesthood. That's really quite an incredible blessing. It's uh, actually the biggest class since my class, yeah. which was 10 years ago. We had seven guys. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, and since then. And uh, in the future, it's not looking as uh, great. We'd, I think we have one guy next year and maybe a, guy, a couple guys the year after. You know, But yeah. you know, we'll, take, we'll take whoever we can get. And then Joe maybe in, what, six, six years. years? Six years? Four of us, God willing, in six years if we all make it. Okay. Plus, it's hard to tell because the Neocats do itinerancy. It's hard to tell how many of them would be ordained with us, if any. That's true. Yeah. And is that a year, two years? It's up to three, I've heard. Up to three. I think it's flexible. I don't know. So actually explain to all our listeners who the Neocats are. Someone has to explain. To, um, <laughs> if I, you can. Yeah. My understanding is that they are not a religious order, but they are a group of seminarians and priests who have mass sort of slightly different than us. They're like, it's like a religious community sort of, I'm not doing a very good job of this so far. You're right. There are Neocat parishes that form communities and they do things a little bit differently. Um, a little bit more charismatic. I think we could say. Well, so it was found in the seventies and I think in the seventies in Spain by the name, a guy named for the name of Kiko. You know more about it than I do. It's like a one, one word name (laughs) or something. And, uh, yeah. And so, so it's kind of, it was a, it's a lay, lay movement that includes a lot of priests. Yeah, and we have a number of seminarians who are part of this. They have their own seminary here in Stanford. Um, yeah, and it's hard to just hard to say. It's hard to tell when the when they'll be ordained. At least for me, I'm sure they have a much more clear picture of it. But. Yeah, so they so they serve in the diocese, but also for the for their lay movement, and it's kind of a, a unique situation. Interesting. Yeah, definitely. None of this is and what so, we're here to discuss so takes, today. How many years to be ordained for them? Oh, I don't know. Well, because they have like an itinerancy thing where they kind of travel. I'm really clear what it is, but it takes a couple years. Yeah, they can it's go not anywhere, one, it's anywhere not, in the world. Yeah, okay. but it's like, I think it's one to three years is the point. So, like, looking at from now, I wouldn't know who'd be ordained with me because it moves. Yeah. There's a, there's a few elements of their masses that I found a little strange. One is that uh, after the homily, anyone's free to say anything they want in the whole room. So, they call them echoes, yeah, and so you never know what you're going to get. Oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's a, it's a unique flavor in the church, and it's good that our church is big, you know. Definitely a lot of unique flavors. Listeners at this point would be surprised if they clicked on a podcast about celibacy and are learning about the Neocats. Well, but they practice celibacy when they're priests. <laughs> yes, they do. That's true. So that is our topic. In fact, you know, <laughs> the fact is that, uh, obviously, I'm a priest, and Joe is, God willing, going to be a priest. He's in seminary. And, and so we kind of wanted to talk about one of the biggest kind of maybe an obstacle that a lot of people think of as one of the biggest challenges of the priesthood, which is celibacy, you know, giving up a wife and kids for the sake of the kingdom. And um, when we were, we were texting about this <laughs> earlier, Joe said, oh, I love celibacy. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that because he's going to hopefully live it for the rest of his life. And then Diane texts and says, <laughs> yeah, I'll probably live it the rest of my life too. <laughs> Not by choice, but <laughs> it's, the way, it's the way things are going now. She is available on her cell phone number. That's <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> hey, you know, I'm not, I'm not 
not a, above that. <laughs> if you want to date somebody famous in a very specific demographic among a very specific community of people, please contact Veritas Catholic Radio. And get <laughs> <Yeah. my> <laughs> that's right. Famous among tens of people. Contact in the Steve Lee. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> she couldn't afford the Catholic match, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we decided to do a free oh, ad. Much better. On, on Restless. But uh, <laughs> this is allegedly a young adult podcast, so it'll be much, you know. Yeah, but I think our main demographic yeah, is actually like, 100%. like, uh, like not young adults, married moms, and yes, things. And older, that's, and that's great. Everyone's yeah. everyone's welcome to listen. Well, if you have grandchildren or that's right, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't matter. <laughs> Only requirements you have to be Catholic and have a job. Yes, and not be ugly. Yes, yeah, those that narrows the town though. That does. Yeah, that's why it's so hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, if you drop one of those standards, so think about which one is least important to you. The not be ugly one. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that opens a hole. It does. <laughs> Cast a wider net. That's right. Yeah, that does. But anyway, so when you know, we're talking about right, <laughs> talk, almost ten minutes in. Sorry, just, you know, <laughs> we're just talking about how people. Some people love the banter, and some people delete yeah. it. But, but so so tell me about celibacy and like why do you think that the church requires it? And now obviously there's there's exceptions to that rule, right? I mean, it, right here in Norwalk. There's a priest. Well, it used to be a priest serving here at St. Mary's of St. Father Richard Chipola, mm-hmm. who very holy priest, and he was married. I think he was was he a pastor of some Episcopal church? I think it was Anglican Pro- or something. Anglican, maybe? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Converted mm-hmm. and was allowed to keep his wife and yep. become a priest. Yep. And I've known a few others like that. So, from your perspective, like, why does the church generally like require celibacy? I mean, from my perspective, I feel like it's. Um it's because you want the priest to be wholeheartedly devoted to Christ and the church. And I think that's difficult to do when you have a family. I mean, the Bible, the scripture is clear about that too, in terms of like divided sort of interest when you're married, you know, like you're thinking more about your, your husband or your wife and your kids. And, um, when you're, you know, when you're single or you're obviously a priest and you're not married, um, you just, you have that focused attention that you wouldn't have because, I mean, I, I mean, just think about your own families and I, I certainly have brothers and I, their marriages are great, but their kids, it, like their life is chaos. Like, I mean, especially, sure you know, <laughs> when you have young, little right? kids, your, your attention is so, you're so drained energy, just all of the sleeping issues or eating issues. And then, you know, obviously kids grow up and they become teenagers, but then you have, you know, bigger people, bigger issues um, type of things. And so I can definitely see how your attention, you're, you're vying for, I have my parish, you know, and these are the souls that I'm shepherding, right? Because I'm sure, Father Joseph, you see us as, like, your spiritual children, right? Oh, very much so, yeah. Yeah, and to, to be able to take that seriously, like I know that you do, I don't, I, I don't know. I just don't see how that you could do both successfully. It's hard, yeah. Yeah. I just recently watched uh, the movie The Sound of Freedom. Have you heard of this movie or yeah. have seen no. it? <clears throat> heard of it, I haven't seen it. It's, it's definitely a gut-wrenching and hard movie to watch because it's about this former FBI agent or, or Homeland Security agent named Tim Ballard. Okay. Who feels called by God to basically like stop human child sex trafficking in third world countries, and so he he ends up flying down to Honduras and Colombia and and, uh, you know rescuing you know dozens and dozens of kids out of this this terrible thing. But he risks his life. He has six kids back home, and the whole time I'm watching the movie, I'm like, well, this is really inspiring. But how can he legitimately go to this foreign country and literally risk his life every single day for these kids that aren't his own when he's got six kids back at home? That he needs to deal with, like, yeah. and I, I thought you know that is a great argument for priestly celibacy. Like you know, I would have the freedom to do that, mm-hmm. 
to be able to risk my life for something like that because I don't have to worry about those kids. Yeah, I feel like someone inevitably gets the short end of the stick, right? So whether it's you're a priest and you're married and you have a wife and kids, like they get the short end of the stick. It's like, it's just not fully 100% there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there are people who could do it well, but I think the vast majority, it would be very difficult to um, to be 100% invested. In the in the Protestant world, there's such a um, a a kind of legendary reality of pastors' kids. You ever heard of that kind yep. of like pastors' kids, yep. PKs they call them. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, it's kind of broad generalization, but a lot of them go off the rails, you know, and start to just totally like yeah. screw up their life. And part of that, I'm sure, is spiritual warfare because mm-hmm. the fam- whole family is probably under a lot of warfare with the Protestant pastors doing good work. But but part of it perhaps is the fact that the the mom or dad is not around a whole lot. Yep. Yeah, that's actually quite an interesting connection. I never really thought about that, but I've have heard a lot of stories about people just kind of, you know, like rebellion or, or whatever. Yeah. I don't know, Joe, what do you think? Um, I think that the distinction that Diane kind of hinted at before is really important, which is that those who are celibate are not single. Like, you're not a bachelor father, right? Um, you are you're, you're married to the church, right? So you're not... Celibacy isn't um, isn't like being free to a single life, kind of do as you want. It's it, an acknowledgement that you are, you are, as a father, is totally dedicated to his wife and his kids. You are totally dedicated to your bride, the church, and your spiritual children. Um, it's an important way to think about it, I think, because it's, again, it's not, it's not, um, oh, I have all this free time so I can, like, hang out in the afternoon, like, play golf with my friends. It's like, no, like... I have all this free time, like I have time that I that I would be spending with my wife and kids, but I don't have them. So that time is now spent serving the church, my bride, serving the serving the people of the church, my children. Yeah, yeah. So a quick question though, because I, I wrestle with this a lot. Playing golf, if it's if it's with your parishioners, is that like a a bad thing? Because no. Playing you know, golf's you, not a bad because thing. Because you are, because you're you're doing what Pope Francis said, and like smelling like the sheep, right? Like if your parishioners play golf, you can meet them on the golf course. And yeah. if, you, if your sheep, if, if your parishioners smell, if your sheep smell like cashmere, then you have to play golf with them. <laughs> I mean, we're in Fairfield County, right? I mean, That's you've right. got Greenwich, you've got Darien. No, but I mean, yeah. um, I don't think. First of all, I think that. Um, a lot of times parents obsess with quality time with kids, which is obviously important, but also quantity of time is important. Um, and I mean, we've we've talked about this before, but like you know, you and I. Um, like you and I are friends, Father, and we've been friends for a long time. And part of my conversion um, came through the fact that I didn't just see you on the on this in the sanctuary at Mass, but like we would see you at youth group, and you come over to my house and with my family and stuff like that. And so, just being available to your people when it's not like I'm here to minister to you for 35 minutes, but it's like I'm here to be your friend for an hour. That I think we I don't think we can um, I don't think we should undervalue that. That's that's important. Yeah, no, that's true. Just like being with your your flock mm-hmm. and having that radical bit availability. By the way, priests like everybody needs free time. Everybody needs needs recreation. So if you're a golfer, golf like there's not like like there's some people have this attitude that priests have to always be working, and that's just that's just dumb. I mean, because parents also like, all right, you watch the kids tonight. I'm gonna go hang out with my friends, or like you know, I'm gonna go do whatever. Like or you know, I need a break. Like you know, take them for an hour. Like that's a normal part of parenthood. There's yeah. no reason there should be any different. Yeah, and I mean, especially as a priest, I think it's it is. I, I mean, I hear it from my friends of like certain pastors or priests who aren't as don't make themselves as available to their parishioners, you know, in terms of like doing community things. I think it is very important for people to like young adults want to hang out with priests, actually. And I'm sure older people do, too, you know, just to like have a conversation with them, to get to know them. And I I mean, in terms of like those people, like, I mean, it's an opportunity for you to like kind of evangelize or just encourage people in virtue and all that stuff. 
and just have normal conversations. But then you just don't know what the fruits of that are going to be later on when someone has an issue and they, they're like, oh, Father Joseph, like, I feel comfortable talking to you that you're not going to, you know, judge me or like whatever. You're going to give me the truth, you know, but you're going to like, I can come to you and have a conversation as yeah. opposed to, you know, someone that they don't know. And they're like, well, I'm not going to. <laughs> I'm not going to let you in on the inmost depths of, of my heart and what I'm really thinking and feeling and my questions. Like, I feel like I can come to you and you won't judge me for whatever. I mean, you'll judge in the sense of, like, you know, you'll give me the truth and it might be a hard truth, but you're not going to, like, look at me differently. No, uh, definitely not. Yeah. You know? So, uh, and I can't say that I have that with every priest, so. Well, I look at one of the great examples of, of course, American Catholicism is uh, Father Michael McGivney. You know, mm-hmm. blessed Michael McGivney, who, by the way, did you notice that, I, I don't know if you saw the news, but um, where was it? it? It wasn't New Haven. Was it Hartford? Just decided that they were going to, like, combine, like, nine parishes into one Hartford, or whatever. yeah. And, uh, both, I think, actually, but yeah. Yeah, well, New Haven was, like, 13 into one. It was crazy. Yeah, but but in New Haven, in, in Hartford, they combined, like, nine parishes into one, and they named it Blessed Michael McGivney Parish, and I think that's the first parish named after him oh, wow. in, okay. in the world, which nice. is kind of cool. Yeah, that is cool. But uh, a local hero. Yeah. But I look at I, if you ever if you ever get the chance to read his biography, it's just simply called Parish Priest. It's a really great biography okay. of him, and he talk it talks about some of his activities. And like for example, he was a big baseball player, and so he he would organize baseball games for the young men in his parish. Mm-hmm. He would organize plays, a lot of like theatricals and stuff, and and outings, because he realized that one of the biggest challenges, especially in New Haven in the I guess it was the 1880s or something like that, was uh, was alcohol. And all of his parishioners would have all this free time because, you, you know, you work eight hours a day or 10 hours a day and then you're free and then they have nothing to do. So yeah. they would go and drink and get, you know, and that would lead to them abandoning their families and all kinds of other, you know, terrible vices. And so a lot of what he did was actually very social. It was like just, you know, just being with the people playing, playing games, setting up fairs, doing, yeah. you know, doing this and that. And it sounded like he had a great time. I mean, I think it goes a long way, too, just in terms of building community. Like, for example, Father John Connaughton, where Joe's doing sort of a little summer um, residence there, I guess, at St. Cecilia's in Stanford. They just had a bonfire night. Um, it was a Saturday night. You know, they had food trucks, lawn games, live music. And um, I, th- I just thought, like... Standing there just with my friends and then seeing all the young families, I thought it was such a great thing for a priest, a parish to do, you know, and both of the priests from that parish were there kind of just talking to everyone. Um, It's a great opportunity to get to know your parishioners, but also for the parishioners themselves, you're surrounding yourself with like-minded people or people who are, you know, striving for no one's perfect, but we're we're on the road, right? So I think it's important, too, to, like, open up those avenues for friendships with other people, like authentic friendships. There were a bunch of teenage girls sitting around the campfire, and it's like, well, that's certainly better than, like, you know... (laughs) The alternative. The alternative. No, (laughs) I I was like, this is beautiful. I wish I had that when I was a teenager. Um, So it used to be that the parishes was the center of your social life. And yeah. it's not the way anymore. And, and, and I think you have a different view of the priest being your father if you have the parish as the center of your social life versus yeah. versus the priest being like your doctor or your lawyer because you just go there, get your you know one hour a week on Sunday checkup, spiritual checkup, and leave. Right? Yep, yep. And I think a lot of people are really thirsting for that sort of the real like, community for a community. And well, because where else do you find it in the world? not yeah nowhere really yeah, it's nowhere. really hard to find community mm-hmm. especially now with technology and phones and all that stuff um it's it's very difficult yeah and we need community we're made for community mm-hmm. i reflect on you know most of the 
most of the, the adults I know have fr- their friendship only through their kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, their kids are involved in activities, so yep. they get to know other parents that are involved. So if you don't have kids, you know, like none of us in this room have kids. You yeah. Know, where do you find community? You have to really be very intentional. You do, and and that's where that's the beauty of a parish of the people. And it obviously, it takes effort, right? Like it takes effort on behalf of the priests to be to want to be involved, to want to do those things, and and obviously they have help and you know councils and things like that. But um, I think it is it is super important for the spiritual growth of these children, essentially. You know, so um, yeah. yeah. So back to the topic of celibacy. So. Um, you know, as all three of us are currently living celibate lives, some of us in vows, like myself, and some of us maybe not by some choice, involuntarily. <laughs> involuntarily. Yeah. Do you find it challenging? And and like especially, you know, Joe, you're prepared to maybe God willing make that vow of celibacy. Is that something that you that's a little daunting? You're kind of like, I don't know if I can do this. this. Is a pretty big commitment. Could there be loneliness in the future? Yeah, I think that's the big. That's the big one, right? Because I mean, um, I. Th- I guess I don't know this for sure. I kind of think that by the time you enter seminary, most people have discerned that they that they think they could live a celibate life, right? And obviously that's a grace God gives you, right? So if, if he calls you to live it, then he's going to give you the grace to live it. Um, so for me, the bigger the bigger worry would be would be loneliness, right? And I could definitely see now just living in a parish for the first time where like it's like, okay, so I'm done with all this stuff and it's like seven o'clock and it's like, hmm, well, my friends are too far away to go hang out with. I'm just going to hang out by myself for like an hour, right? So I definitely, I definitely see that that's a possibility. But I also know that I've only been here for four days, and so it's not surprising that I don't have a lot of friends in the area. But, but, the, <laughs> but the, the good priests that I know, they don't have that problem, you know. Um, you, I mean, you have to. I, th- I think that if you're a good and holy priest who really is available to your people, they will respond in kind. And you won't. And you won't have to be lonely. Um, interestingly, I think a lot of I think a lot of priests tend to actually be introverts. Um, and yeah. they actually want to be alone more. I'm, I'm, I'm not an introvert, so I don't want to be alone more. Um, and so that's something that I have thought about. And actually did come up, uh, this is going to be a future episode or perhaps a previous episode. We never really know. But, um, <laughs> but, um, but um, We don't schedule these things. Yeah, but, I, but I, I just came off of a 30-day silent retreat. And it's interesting that one of the things that came up only once, and then that was it, was this question about loneliness. And I was meditating on when God created uh, Eve out of Adam's side. And just, you know, it's not good for man to be alone. And, and when I was praying with it, I got just, just the sense of, um, like, peace about it. Like, God knows that it's not good for me to be alone, so I won't be. And that's mm, it. Mm. You know what I mean, that, and that was enough. So that's why I look at it. I mean, you're, you know, you're, you're now 10 years ordained, and I think your seminary lasted 27 years, right? Yeah, so, I've been um, so, my whole life. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> so how, how, from that perspective, looking back, how do you, how do you look at it? Um, I think you're absolutely right that that the people do respond in kind. I'm I'm at the point where I kind of want a little less social interaction right. because it's like literally every night of the week it's it's a different you know blessing and not even meetings. It's like people come over for dinner. Let's do this fun thing. Right. Let's do that. So it's a great blessing. I'm don't don't get me wrong. I'm incredibly incredibly grateful. Everybody stop inviting him to things. He doesn't like you anymore. No, not true. Not true. <laughs> <laughs> if he gets tired, like you just need even if you're an extrovert, I feel like you need some time to recharge. You know. Yeah. Um, when I was younger, I'd say the hardest time was always Sunday afternoons because you you have kind of this this high of Sunday morning seeing everybody is great, you know. And I'm I am uh, an introvert who loves people, right? So it's exhausting for me, but I but I love it. And so Sunday mornings was great, and then Sunday afternoon was just kind of this crash of like everyone's now home with their family, and I'm like going back to this empty building. You know? Yeah. But what helped me was to understand that you can turn loneliness into solitude. 
which I think is being alone with the Lord, mm-hmm. you know, and that's a real powerful invitation at that moment when I feel that lack, that emptiness, like, Lord, come in because I'm yours, because I believe, you know, you're, I belong to you. Yeah. And I've had some really powerful times of intimacy in the midst of loneliness, intimacy with the Lord, where, because he, he wants that space in our life. And, and so even as a priest who's, who is very busy and very social, I need to not forget to take that time to be alone with God. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, I feel I feel the same way because I can certainly, you know, in my mid thirties, just it's it is you're on the high of like doing all these social things, but then when you come back and you know you're kind of alone and you have these these uh, thoughts in your head of of why you know it's just self pity and like why why can't I find someone and things like that. But it really, I think it is you know like if you really. I've been trying to lean into kind of divine providence, right, of just everything does happen for reason, whether it's God's actual will or his permissive will, but that he's working through it and that um, as much as I don't like, you know, this is not what I envision for my life, like that trusting that it is needed for my purification, you know, in terms of just like at the end of the day, even if you were to get married and have kids, which I hope I, I you know, that that is the, the deepest desire of my heart, like I... Uh, you you can't make an idol of of those things either you know of marriage or the person or your kids um and so like at the end of the day like god has to be your first love the highest love and i think in those moments of like loneliness you know um and especially forced sort of circumstances he's making me realize that like no i actually can fulfill all of your desires you know and Mm. i i just ask the lord to teach me to trust that you can fulfill all of my desires, you know, because I think it's pretty easy to make things into idols, whether or not we actually perceive that we're doing that or not, that, that, that's really what it is when we're like wanting other things or like trying to fill these holes in our hearts with things other than God, even good things. Yeah. Yeah. And we can be so active that we do forget the, just the receptive intimacy. Yeah, yeah. but I, I do love the distinction you made between like loneliness and solitude because I think those are invitations to you can either like dwell in your loneliness and kind of go into the self-pity thing or you can just like be with the Lord. Um, and, yeah. and it really does, you know, just like simple prayers, like Jesus, do something here. And he does. <laughs> he, he really does. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, that's for me, one of the great gifts of celibacy is having the ability to have a richer prayer life than most lay people who are married would be allowed to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I look at my sister who's got three kids and, you know, she, she can't get to daily mass. She can't you yeah. know, do a daily holy hour. I'm sure she would love to, Yeah. <laughs> but, but you don't have that opportunity. So. Yeah. And that's what I think just even being a single person too, like I look at, uh, this was not the path that I would have chosen for myself, but I am very grateful because I have such a, like a deeper relationship with the Lord, the ups and the downs and like being able to go to daily mass and adoration and like teach RCIA and serve in the young adult community and stuff. It's like people who are married can't do that. So God does, you have to believe that like God has a specific path for you and a calling and that he's going to give you a grace and like, you know, uh, and to not, you know, I need to take my own advice, but like to not worry so much about like the timing and the way that he's doing that because it is, it's tailored to your salvation. Yeah, definitely. Now, one of the big, uh, perhaps, elephants in the room with the celibacy, particularly priestly celibacy, is that a lot of people say that it's unnatural and that it's uh, it could have led to you know the, some of the scandals of the of the past twenty years. So, I mean, how do you respond to that? And first, I mean, like like Joe, when you bring this up to your friends, the fact that you're studying to be a priest, you must get, especially you know, friends perhaps who aren't 
as you know as profoundly Catholic, you know, deeply in their faith, you must get a few eyebrows raised and be like, you know, celibacy is unnatural. It's weird. You know, what's yeah, but I mean that's dumb. Um, that's dumb. Like, <laughs> for, 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 I mean, specifically as regards the the question about the scandals, right? Because there's so many other groups, and it's becoming more and more obvious that various, you know, evangelical groups, um, not to mention like public schools, there's all sorts of non-celibate groups that have problems with sex abuse. It turns out this is just um, a huge problem in Western culture that wreck, you know, that really hit the, the Catholic Church early. Yeah. Right, um, yeah, which doesn't excuse, obviously. I mean, obviously, doesn't excuse any of the, any of the awful. And I'd like to do an episode about this at some point because I think there's a lot to say about it. But, um, but yeah, th- there's no uh, there's no demonstrated connection between celibacy and and this sort of thing. Um, yeah. Um, so I would uh, disagree with you slightly, slightly. Okay, and, that much. In, just a little bit. Just yeah. <laughs> time. Because because you're absolutely right. I don't think celibacy leads to deviation, but I think the fact that the priesthood is celibate has in the past not now now they're much better with psychological screening but in the past men could hide some sexual deviancy on deviancy because it's celibate yeah i don't disagree with that but that's a, that's that's just to reverse causality right it's not celibacy isn't causing deviation deviation is causing people to enter a life of alleged celibacy right right alleged, um, right, right. It's not. um and i also think that part of it is that those priests allow themselves to be made lonely Right, and so loneliness breeds these things. Well, I think more than celibacy does. Um, but you said that sometimes people will say, oh, "Well, it's unnatural." I mean, it's supernatural. It's not unnatural, right? It, it requires grace to live this way, but it's also the way that you're going to live in heaven. Like that's, that's you listen or not, you follow the Joe. Like everybody is going to live this way in heaven. This, uh, what this is for us, what it is for actually for everybody is a sacramental sign of the reality of the beatific vision, right? Which is you, you like Diane said ultimately God will be enough for you. God is enough for you in this life and, and hopefully we achieve that in this life. But anybody who is with him in heaven will truly experience that joy, the joy that comes only from him. So, That's a great point. In fact, there's a, there's a theological term for that, being an eschatological sign. Right. That, that like we, our life points to the reality of eternity because God bless all the married couples out there. Sorry, bad news. You're, you're not going to be married to your spouse in heaven in the same way. It's actually like good news. It's in the Gospels. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe for some of you living it out, it's good news. You're like, I yeah. can't wait to get out of the snow. Yeah. Somebody just said, thank God. <laughs> but uh, yeah. No, and again, you'll have a close relationship with your spouse. But sure. it's but the, the point of marriage, matrimony, is right, the duties of the mother. So it's the whole point is ori- oriented towards procreation and sanctification of your spouse, neither of which you'll have to do in heaven. So in heaven, you everyone will live celibacy, which means that God is the the be all and end all of your life, and through God, you'll love everyone else. Mm-hmm. You know something else. Um, this again came up when I when I was when I was on the retreat. I was I was praying about um, the nativity, and it struck me that there was nothing sterile about the Holy Family, because you'd think like, oh well, so Mary and Joseph have no marital relations. The Jesus is not conceived because of Joseph; he's conceived by the Holy Spirit, and so you would think there'd be some sort of sterile quality to it, but there's not. Like their love is, their love is completely fecund, like normal love is. Like their, their love for each other brings forth Jesus in, in, a, in a unique way, but it, not just in the moment of his conception or in the moment of his birth, but throughout his life. Um, so celibacy isn't sterile. Like it brings forth life. It's just different. Well, there's a, there's a prayer for one of the feast days of Our Lady that says, just as Lord, you have made her virginity uniquely fruitful. Hmm, and right. I've always loved that because yes, I've, your celibacy and our virginity should be fruitful, spiritually mm-hmm. fruitful. Yeah. And and what what I do for souls in baptism is the same thing that fathers do in generating new life. 
Yeah, no, that's beautiful. And I think it probably makes it easier to give up sort of the temporal, right? When you have sort of that higher, that vision, that beatific vision and sort of, you know, like what what the end goal is in mind. Um, because I think it's not like a repression of desire. It's, I mean, it is a supernatural grace, but ultimately like this is, I mean, just, just what Joe said, it's like how we're going to be living in heaven. So um, there's, there's a joy to that. And um, yeah, there's just, there's a lot more to life than unchastity i guess you know and, <laughs> and sexual pleasure yeah yeah a, yeah a lot more to life i mean i certainly yeah. just be clear sorry um sexual pleasure isn't necessarily unchaste right just to be clear that there's right. that's, <laughs> that's, yeah, we're all true. called the chastity just to be super yes. clear about this right yeah right, we're all called the chastity and the, and the marital embrace is, yeah, 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 yeah. is a sign of right, right, you right. know yes of, of yeah. our ultimate destination you know like being wedded to god but there are just different paths yeah absolutely right right and i i think too you know i think a lot more people are being called to celibacy than want to acknowledge it because I, all the time I'll talk to guys, you know, young guys and be like, hey, have you thought about the priesthood? And they say, well, no, I like girls. I said, that's not a sign you're not called to the priesthood, okay? Right. Because every normal man likes girls. That's not, I mean, I am very attracted to women yeah. and I very much feel called to marriage yeah. because that's a natural call on everyone's heart. But yeah. some people, in addition to that natural call, have a supernatural call to give that up. Yep. So just the fact that someone feels a desire for marriage, a desire for, for kids does not mean you're not called to celibacy. And I've heard that in terms of just like religious sisters. Uh, I, I'm not sure with priests. One of the screening questions kind of is like, do you feel called? Like, do you do you feel a desire for marriage? And um, I was talking to a person who had just entered um, a sister, and you know, she uh, basically like the person who was interviewing her essentially like if if the answer had been no they would have been that would have been like a red flag you sure. know like if she's so yeah it's because that is sort of just the way that god built us so right yeah it because doesn't mean that you're not called to you know religious life it's the question do you have the capacity to love yeah really mm-hmm. you know and the capacity to sacrifice a natural good for a supernatural for a super. one mm-hmm yeah. But nevertheless, it is challenging. So, you know, for those who perhaps are maybe living celibacy by choice or maybe not by choice, which a lot of our young adults, you know, are just simply in the state where they're not married yet and therefore have to live a temporary celibacy. What are some very practical, concrete tips to live that out? Because in today's hypersexualized culture, it's very difficult mm-hmm. to remain chaste and to remain, you know, celibate. What are your, what are your thoughts, tips? I mean, I think it it really depends on sort of where where you're at in terms of like, are you single dating? Like, obviously, you know, like you have to be careful with your phone usage. I know that you know, porn is obviously a big thing amongst well, just all ages. Um, but even in just relationships, I think if you're pursuing someone or whatever, it's it's a matter of just chastity, right? Of making sure that you're on the same page with someone else about your standards for um, what is appropriate, like sort of chastity of heart as well. It's not just a physical thing. Um, Yeah, chastity of heart, that's a big thing. Yeah, I think it's especially for women, you know, because you can get on the sort of the, uh, um, I don't know. Emotional... yeah, attachments that, yeah, that then draw it, yeah. your heart and your body. Yeah, exactly. I think it's else. it's much more easy for women to get attached like emotionally to men than you know maybe for for men. Um, but yeah. But no, I mean, I can tell you as a priest, you still have to guard your heart. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, there are very beautiful women in the parish, many of whom start to really kind of open up to you. Yeah. And, and be very vulnerable, and you have to guard your heart and say, you know, look, no, I'm not. I'm yeah. Not, I'm not free. 
to, to date someone. I'm not free to yep. pursue another heart. Yeah, exactly. And it's not like the, the temptation or whatever that person, not necessarily, you know, you, you can't like eliminate everything, but you just have to, you kind of have to like recollect and, and remember sort of, you know, like especially with chastity, I think the biggest thing if you're single and you're called to marriage is to remember that like at the end of the day, um, that, you know, like sex is, is meant for marriage, right? And it's, it's meant to be, it's meant to be, it's, it's saying I am totally yours. So if you are not married to someone, it's, it's, it's a lie of the body to, to say, I'm giving you my whole self, but really not really, you know, because I'm not, you're not actually married to the person, even if you're engaged. So to, to remember that, you know, that this is, this is meant to be a total self-gift. It's meant to be an image of the Trinity, the total giving of the father to the son, the son to the father. And that can only be done in the context of marriage. So if you have that, like, as the, um, as something that you know in your head, I think it makes it easier, you know, when the temptations come, right? And, and you have to, like, to deal with this to remember, like, okay, uh, I have I have a reason not to do this. Yeah, that's true. Joe, any thoughts? Um, yeah, I just think that it's important to remember that um, the moment you make the decision to, to be unchaste is not the actual moment you make that decision. That decision was made probably hours or days before, by which I mean, like, be aware of what we call near occasions of sin, right? Um, don't put yourself in a position to com- that you're that you're good. Don't don't put yourself in a position to make a difficult decision, right? Um, <laughs> like if you are dating, I mean, for dating somebody and you don't trust yourself to be alone with them, you know, like late at night or something. Well, then don't be late, alone with them late at night. Right. Like know yourself, right? Yeah. And be honest with yourself about those things because we, we usually when we're like wrestling with decision, we actually made the decision 10, 10 hours ago that's and we're just, point. and we're just like pretending to drag our feet because we feel like we have to and just, um, and I'm not, this, I'm not, this is not meant to be judgmental. It's just how no, humans that's are, absolutely the truth. but just be aware yeah. of that in yourself and guard against it. Yeah. yeah custody of the eyes is an old virtue. That's uh, yeah. still very necessary. Yeah. And I think you just have to be aware of where your heart's at because chastity is like, it's not just physical boundaries. It's, it's also like, you know, like how are you looking at the person? Are you looking at them as an object? Are you like looking at them as, Oh, they're holding my hand and I'm, I'm getting this like sense pleasure. That's all about me. It's like, it's, it's not necessarily black or white. Like there are certain things obviously that you cannot do, but like you really need to assess like what, what are your motivations, you know, because chastity goes much deeper, I think, than a lot of people think on on it's it's not a it's not a series of like do's and don'ts like that's part of it but it's also it's much deeper right because it's it's the freedom to love yeah that's that's ultimately what celibacy is about what chastity is about what what marriage is about what life is about is the freedom to love so thank you for joining us on this episode of restless my challenge for you is those of you who are single to first of all discern whether god's calling you to celibacy to that beautiful gift of giving your life completely and totally to him in love if you're married, to live chastity and to pray for uh, pray for an increase in vocations to the priesthood and religious life and for the increase of those who are consecrated single in the, in the midst of the world so that they may live out their chastity and their celibacy with the generosity of heart that God wants for them. You can find us on Veritas Catholic Network, 1350 AM and 103.9 FM and wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in next time. God bless you.